What's up everybody? Good morning and welcome to our Water's Edge online Sunday morning worship experience. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for carving out your morning time just to worship with us. And if you've been sharing these links with other people that you know because you feel like it may be helpful to them, thank you so much for doing that. For those of you that continue to give online or you continue to mail in your offerings, thank you so much for doing that. This past week, we fed over a thousand people out of our food pantry this past Thursday. That was all because of your love and your generosity. It helps us make an impact in this city. Thank you so much. Let's keep it up. Last week, we began a brand new study about mean people in our life and what in the world do you do about them? I studied this information from one of my favorite authors and pastors, Andy Stanley, and it meant so much to me that I thought I'd share it with you. Have you ever heard someone say that person, he or she is not a bad person, but sometimes they just do bad things? Like we talked about last week, that kind of makes a bad person. Or have you ever heard someone else say uh, that person, he or she is not really a mean person, but sometimes they say mean things and sometimes they do mean things because they've been going through this or they've been going through that. Sometimes we say that. Sometimes we say, yeah, I'm not really a mean person, but sometimes I just say mean things or react in mean ways or I do mean things because I'm going through this in my life or that in my life. But if you say mean things to people and you treat people in mean ways, then that makes you a mean person. Now, we all have people in our life who bug us, who push our nerves. We're not talking about those types of people because honestly, we can be the same way. We can get on other people's nerves. But in this series, this is what we talk about when we're talking about mean people specifically. We're talking about people who are unpredictable, people who are unkind, people who are liars, people who manipulate, people who are controlling, people who are selfish, people who are users. And we pointed this out. If you and I are not prepared, if we're not prepared, then mean people in our life start to gain a measure of control over our life. And this is what I mean by that. Before you and I know it, we start to act and react to them in ways that we've never wanted to be like. We start to be mean to mean people. And we start to be like those very people that we dislike because they're mean. And so when we do that, that's when they've gained a measure of control over our lives. For instance, the golden rule in the New Testament says this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is how we follow Jesus Christ. This is the Jesus model. Treat other people in the way that you would like them to treat you. It doesn't mean that they will, and it doesn't mean that it'll pay off because many times it doesn't. It just says to treat people the way that you want to be treated. But if we're not careful and we don't know how to respond to mean people, then we do this. And remember this, we do unto others as they have done unto you. This is revenge. This is vendetta. This is getting even. And ultimately, this makes us just like the mean people that we dislike. But we also pointed this out. If the mean person who has abused you and hurt you or just crushed your heart, if they're at a place in their life where it seems like you just can't touch them, for whatever reason, it's out of your control to get them back, whether it's a boss or a spouse or something like that, then you and I start to do this. We start to do unto others as someone else has done unto us. And this is when you and I start to become just like those people that we dislike. Mean people can make you mean if you're not prepared. Because when we're around mean people, we talked about this last week, it always throws us off balance and it forces us to compensate. When someone catches us off guard, it always forces us to compensate. Like that annoying person that you ride with and as soon as you get out of the truck and you walk around the front to go into the store and as soon as you get to the front of the truck, they just blow on their horn just to make you jump, catches you off guard. Or if someone runs up behind you and they shove you and you don't expect it, it catches you off guard and it forces you to compensate because now you're off balance. Well, mean people can throw 
throw you off of the type of person that you want to be, and that's a good person. It's difficult to not be mean and insensitive to mean people. Getting even makes us feel better, but getting even makes us just like the people that we don't like. In fact, most of our greatest regrets in this life is how you and I responded to hurtful, mean people in our life. And so last week we talked about the third option to protect us from regret. There's do unto others as they have done unto you. This is off balance for a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's do unto others as someone else has done unto you. This is off balance for a disciple of Jesus Christ. But the third option is what Jesus modeled. And that option was this, to do good to all people, even those people that have mistreated you. To do good to all people, even those people that have declared themselves to be your enemy. What would it look like in your life to return good to someone who did evil to you? Matthew chapter 5, we start in verse 43. You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you only love those people that love you back, there's no reward in that. That's easy, that's weak, that's predictable. But you and I don't want to tell a predictable story with our life. You and I want to tell a remarkable story as a Christ follower. So last week we looked at a story, a conflict between David and a rich man named Nabal, and they both messed up. Nabal was just a mean, mean man, and he was mean to David. So as a result, David was thrown off balance. He was forced to compensate, and in his uncontrolled anger, he was going to get revenge and be mean right back. But there's another character in this story, Nabal's wife, and her name was Abigail. Now, let me give you some background again on why David was a fugitive. When David was just a little boy, probably around 15 years old, he challenged the champion of the Philistines, who was a giant named Goliath, and he killed Goliath with nothing but a slingshot and a stone. After that, young David became a national hero. This very obscure prophet anointed David to be the next king of Israel. Well, King Saul at the time, who was the king of Israel at the time, this angered him. He didn't want to lose his throne, and so now he's chasing after David. David to kill him, to have him murdered. And so David is on the run as a fugitive, angry, violent. He's in the wilderness. While he's in the wilderness, he meets about 600 other angry, violent misfits, and he creates an army. And so we pick up again today in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Let me tell you about Samuel. Samuel was sort of like David's biographer. And so we start reading about David's life. 1 Samuel 25 verses 2 through 3. There was a wealthy man from Moan who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal. His wife was Abigail. She was sensible and a beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. So here's this man who's rich and mean, rich and mean. And he's about to shear his sheep. And what that meant was he's about to collect his yearly profits and see how wealthy that he'd gotten. And he was going to get very wealthy. 1 Samuel 25, 7. I am told that this is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. So David is asking Nabal for some help, for some food, for some provisions while we're out here in the wilderness. In fact, he says the profit that you're about to make is kind of because of us. Because when your sheep were out in the wilderness, we were the ones who put this wall around them and we were the ones that protected your sheep from harm and theft. And so, man, maybe, maybe you could help us out a little bit. Nabal refuses. He is mean and insensitive. 1 Samuel 25, 12 through 13. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. 
Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own sword. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. So David gets thrown off balance by how mean Nabal was. He gives into the wrong options. Do unto others as they have done unto you and do unto others as someone else has done unto you. And so there is about to be a massacre. David is about to leave no one alive in Nabal's household, his servants, no one's going to remain alive. 1 Samuel 25, 21. David had just been saying a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. Remember last week we talked about this, that right here he's building up a case to justify doing the wrong thing in his mind and in his heart. And I know people that do the same thing today. They will find reasons to justify anything, anything they want to do, anything they feel like doing. They will sit back and they will build a case in their mind. They will build a case in their heart as to why they should take this step that they really know they shouldn't take. We do this all the time. Meanwhile, I want you to notice something else that was going on in this story. This is so cool. First Samuel 25, we start in verse 14. Meanwhile, One of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 1,000 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead. I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. So Abigail, Nabal's wife, actually modeled a different option, the Jesus model, the Jesus way. And this is what she did. She assembled a caravan of food donkeys. You say, Tony, what's a food donkey? Well, if you look around Lake Charles after the hurricane, you saw a lot of food trucks. Well, back in Bible days, a food truck was a food donkey. Today we load up trucks with grilled cheeses and all kind of good stuff and we go out and we sell them. Well, back then they would load up donkeys with food. And so here comes the food donkeys. She loads them up with food. Meanwhile, David's men were coming out of the mountains ready for battle. As they're coming out of the mountains ready for this massacre, they see in the valley below Abigail and all these donkeys filled with food. And have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever just been ready to get somebody back in anger? And as soon as you get ready to take that step, they apologize and they make amends with you and ruin your anger. It's humbling, isn't it? And it forces you to face your faith. All of a sudden, it makes you realize how off balance and how unchristian and how irrational our anger really is. Abigail ruins the anger of David by showing up with an act of kindness. And that's what acts of kindness always do. They always ruin their anger or it makes them angrier. In any case, you always win. Acts of kindness is always the best option. Notice this, 1 Samuel 25, 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. So notice how she's approaching David right now with respect. She doesn't have to. He's threatening to kill her and her family. But she's approaching with respect. And she begins to speak to David, notice this, as if he's already the man that he needs to be. 
That's how she's speaking to David, speaking to him as, as he already needs to be. And, and let me tell you something, that always, always puts people in their place. When you start to speak to them as if you know and they should know that they are better than how they are acting right now. Let me tell you something, ladies. As goofy as men are, this always works on us even when we know you're doing it. She was speaking to David as if he was already the person that he needed to be. Notice how it plays out. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men that you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Notice this. Even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Notice what she's really saying to David right here, and this is so brilliant. Your life is hidden in God's arms. Remember when you were 15? And God used you to kill that giant with just a slingshot and a stone. Remember how you can trust God. Remember that sword you're carrying. That's Goliath's sword. Remember, you don't have to take this into your own hands. Remember, David, how you can trust God. 1 Samuel 25, 30 through 31. If you're still with me, Sam, so still with you. When the Lord has done all that he has promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Notice that, that's so key. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Notice this, this is so key. Notice what she's really saying to David right now. David, what story do you want to tell when what's going on right now is nothing but a story. Let me say that again. This is what she's really saying. David, what story do you want to tell when what's going on right now is just a story? Because there will come a day when this event is just a story. And isn't grace and forgiveness and integrity, isn't that a better and a more remarkable story? 1 Samuel 25, 32-35. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I've heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. Notice what David is really saying. Abigail, you showed me better judgment. You talked me back into my senses, back into my integrity. Praise God for you. That's what David really said. Thank God for you because you talked me back into my senses. Now understand this. Many of our regrets in this life could have been avoided if you and I would have just listened to the Abigails in our life who tried to talk sense into us when we were ready to step over the line and in love, they were telling us the truth in love, not to step over that line, not to get them back, not to give in to anger, not to give in to that temptation, not to get even, not to get revenge. We would have avoided so much regret if we would just listen to those Abigails because remember this, 
What you want immediately sometimes will get in the way of how you want your life to end up ultimately. Let me say that again. What you want immediately sometimes will get in the way of how you want your life to end up ultimately. Notice what's next. If you're still with me, Sam, I'm still with you. 1 Samuel 25, 36 through 38. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk. So she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. In the morning, he had a stroke <laughs> and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. Ouch. By the way, mean people will always end up paying for their choices. You don't have to get them back. Leave that in the hands of God. He can deal with it. Next, 1 Samuel 25, 40. When the messengers arrived at Carmel, they told Abigail, David has sent us to take you back to marry him. <laughs> and she did. She married David. Three characters, three responses, one hero. The first was this, and remember this today, Nabal. He repaid evil for good. That's mean. Mean people are selfish. This is not how disciples live. Number two, there's David. He repaid evil for evil. That's predictable. This is how unprepared people live. They don't tell remarkable stories. They tell predictable stories. And then third, there was Abigail, and she repaid good for evil, and that's remarkable. This is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus model. This is the life of a disciple. And these are our choices. If we say that we've given our life to Christ, we only have one option, and that's the remarkable one. If you're still with me, say I'm still with you. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. The example of Jesus was to disarm their anger with love and grace and kindness and goodness. Mean people are usually hurting from something on the inside. And many times when you show them love, it disarms them. God loves them too. Luke 6.35, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. When we live remarkable in this way, when we choose not to do unto others as they have done unto us, when we choose not to become the type of person that does unto others what someone else has done unto us, when we do good to those people that have mistreated us and hurt us, if you do this, then this is what your life will look like. It'll look like Jesus. And that's what we all want today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We love you. Hope to see you back next week. We hope you have a wonderful week.